Ooh, good morning, everybody. It is Pastor Paul. It is Tuesday. Let's see here. Yes, January 30th. So glad you have joined us for this Tuesday installment of our pastoral devotionals. Why am I wearing a skull cap? Because my skull is bald and I am cold. And that's good enough reason. So anyway, and it helps me to, to connect with the younger generation. No. So, uh, hey, so glad you are with us. We are in Matthew chapter 16. And if you're new to these devotionals, what we do is we track with the sermon that we're going to be preaching that upcoming Sunday. So we've been making our way through Matthew's gospel. And in this way, as you see how I think about a passage and start to unpack it, interpret it, um, exegete it, so to speak, then hopefully this will give you some tools um, to help you in your own personal Bible study. And Matthew 16, we said, kind of represents a, a sort of a corner turned, so to speak, um, as it relates to Jesus's overall ministry. He has spent two years in ministry to the public, primarily in the northern part of Israel and Galilee. He's gone off for a brief excursion to Gentile territory, and now he is has come back to the land of Israel, and he begins a slow but certain and sure march to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And as we're going to see, the closer he gets to Jerusalem, uh, the more contentious and confrontational his interactions become with the religious leaders. And this is because their sporadic and intermittent opposition has now uh, become terminal and toxic. It's become organized. There is a plot afoot as we are going to see. And so um, that's where we are. So let me read the passage for this week, and let's pick right back up where we left off yesterday. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How was it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So last time we left off and I gave you three sort of assignments. Number one, I said, Go cross-reference verses 1 through 4 here of chapter 16, because this sounds awfully similar to something we looked at back um, earlier in Matthew. 
And let's, re let's revisit that and, and see what the significance of Jesus mentioning this again. So that was the first thing. The second thing I said was go look at all the, the references um, to leaven that we might find in the Bible or in the scriptures um, to, to try to understand what is the significance of Jesus using that analogy of, of leaven or yeast. What, what, what might that be about? And then thirdly, when Jesus talks about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, what, what specific teaching is he referencing? And I think those three things I hypothesized to uh, would sort of open up this passage for us. And so let's begin with that first one. And here we have the Pharisees and Sadducees are asking Jesus from us for a sign from heaven. And if you've been with us in this study, you know this is not the first time this has happened, okay, where they've asked him for a sign. If you flip back to Matthew chapter 12, I think you will recall something very similar happening, okay? So look at Matthew 12, 38, and some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So this is not the first time. And here in chapter 16, we have an idea of the kind of sign they were asking for, something from heaven, probably something spectacular, fire like Elijah called down, so, so, something along those lines. Now, back in chapter 12, Jesus says, I'm not going to do a sign for you. And we have to ask, well, well why not? Would this not give incontrovertible proof to the Pharisees once and for all that Jesus is from God? Well, what we said then, and look, look a little earlier, okay, in, in chapter 12 at verse 22, remember, Jesus has been doing signs this whole time. Um, he's been doing miraculous signs, supernatural signs, healings, exorcisms. And in fact, in Matthew 12, 22, he performs an exorcism that is so amazing that the people begin to be amazed and they ask, can this be the son of David? And do you remember what the Pharisees said? They said, yeah, he may have cast out a demon, but he did it by the power of Satan. In other words, the reason he has power over demons to cast them out is that he is actually from Satan himself. Now, Jesus, what he proceeds to do is to take apart, demolish that sort of crazy thinking. Remember, he goes on to tell them, can a, can a kingdom that's divided against itself stand? Can, can Satan remain a power if he's undermining his own authority? He's saying that this is, this is absolutely outrageous. In fact, he goes as far as to say, you're in danger of committing the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, which is essentially a, seeing such incontrovertible proof that this thing is from God, knowing it's from God, but yet ascribing that, that miracle or that power to, to, to Satan. And so that, that was the context then. And Jesus said that, and so when we get to this point about the sign of Jonah in, Rev, in Matthew 12, the reason Jesus isn't going to give them a sign is they wouldn't believe it even if he did. 
they would find some way to explain it, some way to work around it. And Jesus reminds them, I'm going to give you one more sign, only one, and that's going to be the sign of Jonah. Uh, three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. And of course, um, he's referring there to his uh, resurrection. Verse 40, chapter 12, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, you're rejecting me now. The only sign I'm going to, to give you, um, and it's my final sign, my last sign, is I'm going to rise from the dead. Okay, so that's the context situation back in Matthew 12 when Jesus addresses this again, addresses this. Now we come back to Matthew 16. Let's flip back over. Why is Jesus mentioning this again? Well, he doesn't go into detail, the same detail as he did before, but he has one interesting little antidote to go along with this. Look at verse two. He, they asked for a sign from heaven, and he says, um, let me show you a sign from heaven. Um, let me show you uh, or, or comment upon a weather pattern, okay? And, you, and my mom always used to tell me growing up, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in morning, sailor take warning, right? If you saw a beautiful sunset at evening, you know it's fair weather, it's beautiful. If you see that same sort of red sky in the morning, you know a thunderstorm is coming. And so Jesus kind of repeats that proverbial saying, when it is evening, you will say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. And it's kind of a proverb, right? He's saying this is just understood generally. Doesn't mean it's true every single time. It just means like anybody without any meteorological training or expertise can look at the sky and discern the general pattern of what is happening. And Jesus is saying you can do that for the sky, okay, for natural phenomenon, but you can't do it for supernatural phenomenon because I've been doing it. I've been doing signs left and right, and you have refused to acknowledge those signs. And you may know how to interpret natural phenomena, but you don't know how to interpret spiritual phenomena. Why? Okay, that's the question. And the question, of course, um, goes down to this idea of sight. Jesus is telling them that they cannot see, no matter how plainly obvious he makes it to them by what he does, by what he says, they conveniently find a way to skirt the plain, obvious truth. Why? Because they don't want to believe. Because they don't want to face the implications of what it would mean to acknowledge that what Jesus is saying and doing is true. And because their hearts are hardened, they are blinded to the beauty and impact of the signs that Jesus has been giving them. And he again reminds them one more time, just one sign am I going to leave with you for perpetuity, my death and resurrection. Now. Tomorrow, we're going to see how, in, 
you know, in, in contra to the Pharisees, the disciples, despite their immaturity and, and lack of a strong faith, are actually given sight. And so th that's going to be the, the, the contrast between the two. But one thing I, I, I would want to mention is that oftentimes we can run the risk of testing God by saying, God, if you, then I will. If you will only do this thing, if you will only make this clear, if you will only um, um, come my way a little bit, then I will be obedient, or then I will believe, or then I will have faith. And let's remember Jesus's warning to Satan in the wilderness, you shall not put your Lord, your God to the test. That oftentimes Jesus is gracious to us and he gives us encouragements and signs and, and, you know, propels us in the right direction despite our unfaithfulness. But let's remember Jesus has already done the most important thing. He has been raised from the dead and he who was raised from the dead and has given us his spirit in return will never leave us or forsake us. He has given us the most important sign. Even if we go the rest of our lives and we feel like God is on radio silence, one, he's not because he's given us his word. He's speaking to us through his word. But two, even if we feel that way, all we need to continue today into the future forward in faith is the sure, the certain assurance that Jesus has risen from the grave. And because he's risen from the grave, this changes everything. This means he's coming back. This means that death does not have the final word. Um, this means that he has given us his spirit to live within us. This means he has given us his word. This means he is a living savior. This means he is, he is, um, he is alive. And because of that, Jesus says, that's enough. It's not that that's all I'm giving you. He's saying that's all you need. And we walk forward in faith today that that might be the only sure and certain thing that's going on in your life right now, that Jesus died for you and was raised to life, to which Jesus would say, that's all you need. It's not always all that I'll give you. I'll give you many blessings, many things, many assurances, and many encouragements along the way. But if not, be content with what I have given. All right, that's it for today. We've looked at the Pharisees. Tomorrow, we'll shift our focus to the disciples and what's going on with all these analogies of leaven and bread and um, the teachings of the Pharisees, and we'll, we'll unpack this some more. All right, let's pray. Lord, give us your grace now as we move forward into the day that regardless of whatever it is that faces us, we can trust you knowing that you've given us everything we need in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.